tell you that just because you decide to do something great for God, it does not mean that the devil is going to throw a party, roll out the red carpet, get some balloons, and start throwing streamers all over the place. Y'all don't want to talk to me. Truth of the matter is that when you get serious about doing a work for God, that's when the warfare intensifies. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. Come and join us in the sanctuary as we listen in on a dynamic word from our senior pastor, Dr. Gina M. Stewart. Today in our preaching passage, Paul says to the Colossians in the New Living Translation, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Just look at somebody that said, devote yourself to prayer. Stay alert and be thankful. One of the things that you will discover about the Apostle Paul is that not only was prayer a dominant theme in Paul's writings, but Paul was also a man of prayer. If you read any of his epistles, and I believe about one-third of the New Testament is attributable to him, you'll find that in just about any of Paul's letters, Paul exhorts believers to prayer. In Romans 12 and 12, he says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Ephesians 6 and 18 says, praying at all times, in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. Philippians 4 and 6, we ought to all know this one, says, do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and with everything, with by prayer and with supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17, he says, pray without ceasing. And 1 Timothy 2 and 1 says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. In Romans chapter 15, verse 30, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Paul emphasized prayer. Not only did he emphasize prayer, Paul was a man of prayer. His letters were saturated with prayer, and it's evident from his writings that prayer was an integral part of whatever he wrote whether the topic was pastoral, whether it was ethical, whether it was theological or spiritual, prayer was always on Paul's radar screen. And over the years, much prayer has come out of Paul's writings. If you read any of his letters, you will find that many of his letters are content-rich as it relates to prayer. And not only are there prayer passages in his letter, letters, but much of the content that you will find in his letters can be easily converted to prayer. Not only are Paul's letters filled with prayer, but Paul was a man of prayer. Behind the boundless energy as an apostle, behind his energy as a missionary, behind his energy as a pastor and a theologian and a tent maker was an extraordinary prayer life. In fact, if you read the Acts of the Apostles, you will find in various chapters, chapter 9, chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 16, chapter 19, chapter 20, chapter 22, and chapter 28, all of those chapters reference in some way 
or they demonstrate in some way that Paul attached great importance to prayer. But not only was Paul a man of prayer, not only were his letters filled with prayer, but Paul believed in mutual intercession. Somebody said mutual intercession. You know, for many of us, we see prayer as a one-way street. We see prayer as only somebody praying for us. But Paul saw prayer as mutual intercession. There's not a letter, I believe, in the New Testament, particularly that Paul has written, that there is not some statement or something in the content where Paul emphasizes his prayer for the people who are parts of the churches that he has founded or that he has oversight for. But not only will you find him saying to the people that he's praying for them, but you also find that Paul consistently begs the people to pray for him. He prays that they will pray for him as he assumes wider responsibilities in supporting the work of the gospel. He prays that when they interceded for him, that it wouldn't just be with some formality. Some of us have heard people say, when you pray for me, don't put me in duty bound. Some of you that are over 50 will understand that statement. The young folk probably don't understand it, but the older folk, you say, when, when you pray for me, don't put me in duty bound. Call my name before God. In other words, they wanted you to pray with specificity. They wanted you to be specific about their needs. They wanted you to call their name. My friend, Dr. Valerie Bridgman, often talks about her breakfast list of prayer. I'm glad that I'm on somebody's breakfast list. And you ought to be glad too because not only are you praying for somebody, but you also need to know that somebody is praying for you. They may be people that you don't know. There may be people whose faces you never see, but somebody is praying for you. Because prayer is not just a dialogue, a monologue. It is a dialogue. It is a dialogue between you and God. It's not just us giving God a bunch of orders and errands to run. But it is also us pausing long enough to hear what God would have to say to us. But not only is prayer about dialogue and monologue, but it is also mutual intercession. As the pastor prays for the people, so the people ought to pray for the pastor. As the pastor prays for the sheep, so the sheep ought to pray for the shepherd. Paul says, pray for me. He says, devote yourselves to prayer because Paul recognized that the ministry that had been entrusted to him was a struggle. And that it would not be accomplished without a struggle. Can I tell you that just because you decide to do something great for God, it does not mean that the devil is going to throw a party, roll out the red carpet, get some balloons, and start throwing streamers all over the place. Y'all don't want to talk to me. Truth of the matter is, is that when you get serious about doing a work for God, that's when the warfare intensifies. This is why Paul constantly asked the church to pray for him as he took the gospel to the Gentiles. Anybody ever had a major assignment with little power? Paul had a major assignment. And on his own, he didn't have a whole lot of power. So he asked the churches that he often had oversight for, the churches that he found to pray for him. And he didn't just tell them to pray about general things. He asked them to pray about specific needs. 
He asked them to pray about missionary work. He asked them to pray that his ministry would be acceptable to the saints in Jerusalem. He asked them to pray for deliverance from the enemies of the gospel and for the proclamation of the mysteries of Christ with boldness. Today's text is actually the closing of a letter to the Colossians. And it is an example of the partnership in prayer that Paul enjoyed with many of the churches. He urges the readers to pray for him, to intercede for him in the costly work. Somebody says it's a costly work in spreading the gospel. He's already assured them, if you read the whole letter, which is the four chapters, he's already assured them at the beginning of the chapter, in chapter 1, that he's praying for them. But now as he closes the letter, it's almost when you get to the end of your letter and you get ready to write sincerely yours or respectfully yours because you do need to know that these books, these letters that we're reading are actually letters that Paul sent to his pers persons that were parts of various churches. So you're really reading, as uh, Pastor Shirley Prince used to say, somebody else's mail. And as he gets ready to close this letter, he's already assured them in chapter 1 that he's praying for them. But now as he closes the letter, because he knows the kind of work that is awaiting him, he knows the mantle that is on his shoulders, he knows the assignment that he has been given from God, he closes the letter by asking them to devote themselves to prayer. Another way of saying it is to say, continue steadfastly in prayer. One translation says, continue steadfastly in prayer by keeping alert and always thanking God. I like the way the Amplified Bible reads. It says, be earnest and unwearied. In other words, you can't get tired of praying. Look at somebody say, you can't get tired of praying. It said, be earnest and unwearied, steadfast in your prayer life, being both alert. He's not just talking about mental alertness, but moral alertness. He says, being both alert in your intent and, and be, being both alert and intent in your praying with thanksgiving. So not only do we need to pray continuously, not only do we need to have a posture of mental and moral alertness when we pray, but while we're praying, we ought to be praying with thanksgiving. We ought to be praying because we believe that even as we pray, God is working things out. That even as we pray, I can't hear you this morning, God is working on our case. That even as we pray, even though we can't see, Lord have mercy, what the outcome is going to be. We know that there's something going on behind the scenes. That there's something taking place in the cosmos. That even though it looks all jacked up in the natural, the reason why you can pray with thanksgiving is because you're praying to the God of the universe. Somebody ought to get excited. That you can pray to the God of the universe. Now it's different if you're praying to a human being. Because human beings have limitations. It's different if you're playing, praying to human beings. Because human beings are moody and unpredictable. It's different. I don't hear you saying nothing. If you're praying to human beings because we're fallible. We make mistakes. We fall short. I wish I had somebody of the glory of God. But when you pray to the God of the universe. You're praying to a God that can do anything. You're praying to an omnipotent God, a transcendent God, an immutable God, an omniscient God. I don't hear you. This God that we're praying to is able to do exceedingly more than we can imagine. Infinite possibilities are available to us when we pray. 
And so Paul, Paul, Paul understood the power of prayer. He understood that prayer is efficacious. That it is, in the words of uh, James, effectual in its working. And so Paul did not rely completely on his own strength. And see, it's real easy to do stuff in your own strength, especially when you're gifted. It's easy to do things in your own strength when you have talents, when you're smart. It's easy to just shoot off like a rocket and do things in your own strength until you run into a demon. Y'all ain't talking to me. Until you get discouraged, until you get disillusioned, until somebody offends you, hurts your feelings, says something that you didn't expect church folk to say. It's easy to do stuff in your own strength when you're sitting on the pew. Y'all ain't talking to me. And when you're criticizing and critiquing what everybody else is doing, but you ain't lifted up no hand to help nobody, won't pick up a piece of paper, won't sweep the flow, won't stand in line to serve a plate, clap your black hands, ladies and gentlemen. It's easy to, to do this when you ain't trying to do nothing. But when you get in this work, when you really get serious, Lord, I feel my help right here. When you really get serious about trying to transform the world into the kingdom of God and touch people's lives for the glory of God, you cannot do it in your own strength. And if you do, you're going to quit real easy. Because Negroes will get on your nerves. Can't get no help in here. Let me see if I can talk to the choir. Negroes will make you mad. They'll make you want to cuss. Y'all won't talk to me. Co-workers will get on your nerves. Spouses will get on. Chilling will get on your nerve. Is there anybody in here that can just throw your head back and say, these Negroes got on my last nerve this week? I wish I had some real people. I didn't come for you deep people. I'm not coming for you folk that try to act like nothing ever bothers you and that you don't ever want to cuss anybody out. That you don't ever want to shoot somebody. That you, I'll not use violence. It's easy to do this when you're sitting up dreaming about it. When you're writing it on paper. Y'all won't talk to me. But when you start getting involved in ministry, when you start really trying to fulfill your assignment, trying to carry out what God has put inside of you because there's something in you that the world needs. You all look at somebody and say, I may not be much to you, but it's something in me that somebody needs. Or I may not look like much to you. You may not think much of me, but let me send you a news flash. There's a treasure in this job class. I wish I had somebody that could just tap yourself on your stomach and say, it's a treasure in here. Look at somebody said, don't look at the container. It's what's on the inside that counts. And I'm on assignment to tell somebody that there's a treasure in a leaky crate job. So that the excellency of the power, Brian, can be from God and not from us. Paul understood that he needed somebody to pray for him. Can I ask you a question? Who's praying for you? Who's praying for you? Who, 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 who? Who's, 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 whose breakfast list are you on? Who has your name in their mouth? Because I'm here to tell you, you cannot survive. You cannot do this without somebody praying for you. 
I couldn't stand here and pastor this church for 18 years if some folk weren't praying for me. I could not deal with the challenges of ministry, the disappointments, the setbacks, the heartache, the betrayal. Oh, I wish I had time to talk about betrayal. I don't have time to talk about it right here. The attitudes. If I didn't pray. The folk that quit speaking. I ain't finna go there. But I'm just trying to tell you. I wouldn't be able to do this job if I didn't have somebody praying for me. If somebody wasn't calling my name. If there wasn't somebody interceding for me. And let me just send this one to you. It's for free. You ought to thank God for the ministry, the office of intercessors. You know those people that pray those long prayers. The ones that when they come to the mic, you say, oh, Lord. They finna be, we get, get ready, it's finna be two hours. This finna, this finna be a two hour. But you better thank God for the two-hour prayers. Because those folk that's been praying for two hours are the ones that kept you from jumping off a bridge. They kept you from slitting your wrist. They kept you from losing your mind. Somebody thank God for the long-winded prayers that stand in the gap in behalf of us and pray for us when we could not pray for ourselves. Paul understood the import of somebody praying for him because he understood the weight of the assignment. See, you know what? I'm convinced that many of you just don't realize the weight of the call that's on your life. You don't understand the impact that you can potentially make if you really make up your mind that you're going to serve God no matter what. If you really understood, if you could see in the spirit, if you could see into the future, the people whose lives would be changed because of your obedience to God. And let me tell you, it has nothing to do with how big the job is. Because you can change the life of one child and turn the world upside down. I don't hear nobody saying nothing. You can change the life, touch the life of one woman, one man, one senior citizen, and change the, turn the world upside down. I don't think most of us understand the import of our impact. We don't understand that as insignificant as we may think we are, that if the enemy can wear on us long enough, discourage us enough, make us mad enough to quit, to throw in the towel, to abandon our assignment, to get mad, to sit on the pew, to say we ain't going to help, to find us another church. We don't understand the import of our impact, which is one of the reasons why somebody has to be praying for you. And they don't have to pray for you because you're a pastor. They don't have to be praying for you because you're a preacher. They don't have to be praying for you because you're a deacon or a spiritual leader. They just need to be praying for you because you're trying to live right. Oh, I wish I could get somebody to help me. Look at somebody. I said, will you pray for me? Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer because he understood that the import of his assignment, the weight of his assignment at least, the responsibility of touching the lives of people, not just preaching the gospel to the Jews. Don't miss this. He was preaching the gospel to what we would call the unchurch. Gentiles were considered to be, y'all excuse me for taking my arms out. I know some of you that got a Kojic background think I'm headed to the lake right about now. But uh, it's hot up here. He understood the import of trying to preach the gospel to people who were considered to be barbarians. Because if you read anything about the history of Gentiles, they were considered to be uncouth. They were considered to be barbaric. They were considered to be the people that were unteachable. 
And Paul had an assignment to take the gospel to the Gentiles, not to the people that already had a template for faith. Not to the people that already knew about the Ten Commandments. Not to the people that already knew about Aaron's rod that budded. Not to the people that knew about the crossing of the Red Sea. He was taking the gospel to people that had no clue about who Jehovah Jireh was. And he understood the importance of having people to pray for him. So if you notice his prayer life, he doesn't ask them to pray for his release from prison. Now, this is interesting that he doesn't ask for them to pray for his release in prison because he was in prison when he wrote the letter. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to go and tell the truth. If I was in a cell, the first thing to be at the top of my prayer list would be, y'all pray to somebody get me out of here. Y'all ain't talking to me. I know some of y'all be praying for Cokes and cigarettes, but I'd be praying for them to get me out. Get me out, Jesus. Get me out today. Y'all ain't saying that. Some of y'all, you know that... Paul is not praying <laughs> for them to be, for him to be released from prison. He does not ask them to pray for personal fame or even for success. Here's what Paul prays for. Listen to this. He prays, he asks them to pray for him that he might serve the Lord Jesus effectively. Somebody ought to write that in your margin. Ask somebody to pray for you that you can serve the Lord effectively wherever you are. Wherever you find yourself, ask somebody to pray that you might serve the Lord effectively in success and in suffering. And I would dare say we ought to pray for folks, ask people to pray for us more when we're suffering than when we're successful. Because we don't necessarily have a hard time doing the work of the ministry when we're successful. But it's when we're suffering that we really need folk st standing in the gap for us. He wanted them to pray for him to continue experiencing the privilege of teaching about Jesus and that those who listened to him would open the doors of their hearts and minds to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So Paul says to the church, devote yourself to prayer with alertness and with thanksgiving. He says devote yourself. To devote yourself means to concentrate on something. It means to pursue it with everything you have. It means to set yourself apart and dedicate yourself. It means to give yourself to something with a commitment that becomes known or identified by your devotion. For example, a husband that's devoted to his wife has eyes for his wife and time for his wife alone. A teacher that's devoted to his or her students is committed in and out of the classroom because they want their students to flourish. So that even after the bell rings, Tracy, you're still thinking about ways to help your students grow. A pastor that's committed to his parishioners, his or her parishioners, is concerned about them on more than Sunday morning. They're thinking about you when you sleep. They're thinking about you when you're at work. They're thinking about you when you're not even thinking about them. Because when a person is devoted to something, it's always on their mind. A fan devoted to their favorite college or professional team is devoted to their team. They cheer for them when they win and they cheer for them when they lose. You can't convince them to stop cheering for their team when they're devoted for them, to them. Uh, Reverend Ivan Harris is a devoted fan of the Cleveland Browns. I don't even know if the Cleveland Browns still playing. And he does not even care. But anytime you see Ivan Brown, he is going to have on this major leather jacket and a Cleveland Browns hat. And he doesn't care that you laugh at him. Some of you Dallas fans, 
Oh, I'm in the right place now. I devoted to the, to the Dallas Cowboys. Some of you Grizzly fans are devoted to the Grizzlies. So when you're devoted to something, you are there for them whether they're winning or losing. A church member that's devoted to the ministry of the church is willing to do whatever is necessary to see the church flourish. Whatever it takes. Some of them say, whatever it takes. And Christians are called to be devoted to prayer. To be devoted to prayer means to commit ourselves to prayer in such a way that prayer is not just some perfunctory ritual. It's not just a pre-meal ritual that we do just before we say our grace. And even our prayers before grace are perfunctory. Jesus will. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even our prayers are perfunctory. But when you are devoted to Jesus, when you are devoted to prayer, we commit ourselves into prayer in such a way that our, our, our lives are defined by prayer. Our eyes are always on God, and our days are filled with prayer, even if we can't bow our knees. You pray breath prayers, Lord, help me get through this. You're walking in a room, and you know that you got a minister to somebody that can't receive your ministry, and you're praying, Lord, help them to receive the ministry of Jesus Christ through me. You may not always be able to get down on your knees. Sometimes you got to run in the restroom. Sometimes you got to talk to God while you're on the run. Sometimes you got to pray in the car. Sometimes you got to go find a closet or a corner. I wish I had some prayer warriors in here that know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you just got to talk to God wherever you can find a place. But you got to be devoted to prayer. To be devoted to prayer means that we make every effort to battle for souls. Not just our own, but also the souls of others. Asking, knocking, and seeking God's work. Being devoted to prayer means that we will be marked by an obvious, intense, and unwavering practice of prayer. And I hear what some of you are saying, and you're saying, yeah, you're right, but, but come on, Pastor, ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't that what Sweet Brown say? Oh, my Jesus. I said, oh, my Lord, it's a fire. Ain't nobody got time for that. We got too much to do already. You right here talking about we need to devote ourselves to prayer. Now, I pray every once in a while. I might pray once a week. I might pray, you know, twice a week. I might pray when I come to church. But we already overloaded. We already overwhelmed. We already overcommitted. We're already overextended. The pace of our lives is already relentless because of the incessant demands that are being placed upon us. Not to mention the stuff we want to do. We got work, we got family, we got children, we got husbands, we got wives, we got the church, and the list goes on and on. But I've come to tell you this morning that prayer is not something you relegate to the professionals. Prayer is not just something that you delegate to the pastor and the preachers and the ministers and the deacons. As a matter of fact, you better learn how to pray for yourself. You better learn how to lay your hands on your own self. You better learn how to intercede for your family members, for yourself. Yes, it's good to be able to call your pastor and ask your pastor to pray. But I might be over somewhere in Ghana and the long distance charges is too expensive for you to be trying to track me down to get me to pray for something that God has given you the power to do for yourself. Look at somebody say, devote yourself. Devote yourself to prayer. Pray. Because prayer changes things. Prayer still works. And Bill Hybel says that we are too busy not to pray. We're living in some times that demand that we devote ourselves to prayer. In fact, the Bible describes the times that we are living in as the last days. 
times that demand that we devote ourselves to a, an unrelenting persistence. Because now let's go on and be honest. If we tell the truth, we devoted to a lot of stuff. But prayer isn't one of them. In fact, we, anybody in here, most of us in this room are devoted to something. But we would be hard-pressed to say that prayer is what we're devoted to. And it's not always because we don't want to pray. Many of us wake up with prayer on our mind. We start off the week saying, I'm, I'm going to get my prayer life together. I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to talk to God. And before you know it, the phone is ringing. Next thing you know, the children are hollering. The radio is blasting. The husband looking for his socks. Your pantyhose got to run in them. Your hair won't act right. The blow dryer didn't work right. Your hair's messed up. You having a bad head. And before you know it, the time that you were going to use to pray has been eaten up and you're starting all over again. It's not that we don't necessarily want to pray, but somehow other things just find a way of becoming priorities for us. And even though we are devoted to a lot of things, prayer is not necessarily one of them. Are we devoted to exercise? Some of us devoted to going to the beauty shop every week. Some of us going to get our hands and feet done every week. Y'all won't talk to me. Some of us are devoted to the mall. Okay, I'm telling all my business. When you going to tell yours? Some of us are devoted to the golf course. We're devoted to the internet. We're devoted to Facebook. Y'all won't talk to me. Some of us are devoted to Twitter. We are devoted to pooking them. All he got to do is dial your number. And wherever you are, just keep looking straight ahead because I'm coming for you today. All she has to do is say, meet me. And you're going to find her. Because all of us are devoted to something. But the truth of the matter is, is that prayerlessness is often our domain. In other words, what I'm suggesting is that everything else has taken precedence over prayer for us other than prayer. But I've come to tell you today that if we are going to be able to stand firm and to live victorious lives, we have to devote ourselves to prayer. Prayer was a priority in the life of Jesus. He continually communed with the Father. And I wish to suggest that anybody who is going to be used mightily of God must devote themselves to prayer. Not just when you're in trouble, not just when you're in the middle of a crisis, but you must devote yourself to prayer. In other words, if we desire to walk in the spirit and live a holy life, time spent with the Lord must be a regular part of our routine. Here's the reason why we got to spend time with God. Make sure you listen to this. Nudge your neighbor and say, you don't want to miss this. The reason why we must allow ourselves time with God and we must make it a priority is because when we don't pray, we open ourselves up to demonic attack. When we don't pray, we open ourselves up to discouragement, to doubt, to disillusionment, and even disaster. Then if we pull away and cease to fellowship with God, we begin to feel the weight of what happens because of our prayerlessness. We begin to feel the spiritual, emotional, and physical weight of our earthly circumstances. Can I make a news flash? Can I make an announcement? Weary believers, not just weary in your body, but weary in your mind. Weary believers are prime targets for the enemy's attacks. Touch your neighbor and say, devote yourself to prayer. 
Well, Pastor Stewart, why do we need to devote ourselves to prayer? Well, I want to suggest that based on this text and based on what was going on in the church at Colossians, because they were being, uh, 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 they were tempted by false teaching. Uh, they were waiting on the second coming of Jesus Christ. They were living under, as we are, a delayed parousia. And you know, the truth of the matter is anybody can be committed for a minute. But when it stretches out and it takes longer than you expected, it wears on your ability to be faithful. There are many things in life that weaken in life that weaken our resolve to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. And so I want to tell you today that when I look at this text, the people in Colossians were a lot like us. Which is one of the reasons why Paul told them devote themselves to prayer, not just for their own success of his ministry, but because there were other things that demanded unrelenting persistence. One of the first reasons why we ought to have unrelenting persistence in prayer is because there's a devil. Somebody said you need to pray because it's a devil. We cannot overemphasize the fact that there is a devil. Now, I know that in this postmodern age, there are many of us that think that a devil is a figment of our imagination. But I need to tell you that the life of a Christian is warfare. That it is an intense conflict. Don't miss this. Underline this. And it's a lifelong contest. It is a battle that is waged against invisible foes who are ever alert and ever seeking to entrap us, to deceive us, and to ruin our souls. Can I tell you something else about the devil? He's sneaky, he is cunning, he is crafty, and he's strategic. He never rests, and he is ever plotting our downfall. And he often succeeds in ensnaring us. Perhaps this is why Ephesians 6 and 12 says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But it's against powers, against principalities, against spiritual wickedness in high places, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. In other words, if the enemy can just make us think that most of our battles are at the level of our natural relationships. I want to tell you that the enemy is concerned about more than making you fall out with folk. Y'all won't talk to me. The truth of the matter is he don't even have to do anything to make you fall out. Because our personalities are different. The way we do things are different. Some of us are controlling. Some of us are passive. Some of us think that we got to be in the spotlight. The rest of us think that us, we, don't, we can stand in the background. Some of us just don't like other folk because somebody else said they don't like them. And then some of us just don't like you because we just don't like you. You ain't done nothing to us. You ain't said nothing about us. You've been, we've been trying to be kind to you. you. But we just don't like you. So the devil doesn't even have to make you hate nobody. Y'all won't talk to me. We do that on our own. What, what the devil wants to do is make sure that you don't impact the kingdom. Let's be clear that the warfare that we're talking about has nothing to do with who hating on you. That's them baby demons. Touch your neighbor and say baby demons. But the real warfare has to do with what God wants to do with you to change the world. He wants to make sure you don't get excited and start going down to the jail. Trying to tell somebody they can have a better life. He wants to make sure that you don't start volunteering for Camp Christ. And start helping some of these children in this community to believe that there's a life outside of South Memphis. I can't get no help. He wants to make sure that you don't lift your voice and pull down strongholds and send an anointing in this building in such a way that yokes are destroyed and people's bodies get healed. The devil doesn't have to do nothing to make you hateful. He wants to make sure that you don't get excited enough that you don't get energized enough to try to change the world. And he never rests. And every now and then, you need to just step back and say, I see you, devil. 
Come on, y'all. Ooh, it's... Every now and then, you need to just step back and say, I see you, devil. I've seen this trick before. I know what you're up to. And when you get through, I'm going to still serve God. I'm going to still follow God. I will not renounce God. You should have got me when I was in the club. You should have got me when I was on a pole. You should have got me when I was on the corner. You should have got me when I wasn't fit to live and wasn't fit to die. It's too late now. Y'all ain't saying nothing. You ain't got to, you ain't got to cord me right now because I see I ain't, I ain't going that way. Because this is some hard ground right here. You need to pray. We need to devote ourselves to prayer because there's a devil. And he is a devil that is always throwing temptations. He understands the weight of your ministry. That's why Jesus said to Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith won't fail. Why would he tell him that he was praying for him before Peter gets tempted by the devil? Because he understands that the devil knows the destiny that's on Peter's life. And I know some of you don't think that there's much destiny on your life. But I'm here to tell you that the fact you got saved and got on the winning side suggests that there's a whole lot that God wants to do through your life. Jesus said to Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith won't fail. And when you are converted, strengthen your brother. We need prayer so that we won't grow weary in fighting this good fight of faith. The biblical picture of Satan is quite different from the popular one. In the Bible, he's not the comical cartoon cartoon character with horns, tail, a pitchfork, and a red suit. Satan is an adversary. Look at somebody say, that means he's an enemy. He's clever, he's deceptive, and he's dangerous. He knows our weaknesses, and he exploits them to great advantage against us. The Bible does not speak so much about the power of Satan as much as his extreme trickery and deceptiveness. Because he uses clever wiles. He uses deceptive devices. He uses stratagems and deceitful designs. Somebody said, devote yourself to prayer. We got to devote ourselves to prayer, first of all, because there's a devil. But here's the other thing why we need to devote ourselves to prayer is because it will expose deception. We must practice unrelenting persistence because the devil employs many schemes and strategies to deceive us. And you might say that Satan is a con artist. How many of you know con artists? Nobody likes to admit that they've been con, but our world is filled with con artists, with liars, with thieves, with people who seek to defraud us. But the Bible warns us that the greatest deceiver of all is Satan, the devil. Perhaps that's why Paul says that we are not ignorant of the devil's devices. Perhaps that's why Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walketh about seeking as a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. One of the schemes that the enemy uses against us, and he started with it in the garden, is deception. That's why he said to Eve, has God really said to you? Thank you for joining our podcast. We pray that you were tremendously blessed by the word. Like what you've heard? You can purchase this message by visiting www.christmbc.org store or by emailing us at orders at christmbc.org. Be sure to mention the title of the message. We are one church in two locations, 
Join us at one of our two locations at 8 a.m. at our east location at the Esplanade Memphis located at 901 Cordova Station, Cordova, Tennessee 38018 or at 10 a.m. at our south location located at 480 South Parkway East, Memphis, Tennessee 38106. May God continue to bless you is our prayer.